Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 196. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So hey everybody, it's that time of the year once again, the biggest awards ceremony around. It's what the Oscars would be like if they for once invited their grouchy green homeless Muppet brethren. Oh, no, 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 all right, all right. Hey, no, I don't want that baby near my worm. It's what the Emmys would be if cloning technology was advanced to the point where there actually could be more than one M.E. You should all do what I say. My IQ is 199 for crying out flame. It's what the Tonys were like back in the good old days when there were Danzas in charge. Hey, let's get something straight right now, Angel. I did not take you out because of pity. So if that makes me such a terrible person, then shoot me. Hey, 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 who's the boss, huh? Who's the freaking boss? The Danza. The Danza is Lord. <laughs> yeah, you goddamn right I am. Hey, Alyssa Milano, go get me a cup of coffee. Uh, two creams, no sugar. Oh, if I taste any f***ing sugar in there at all, then so help me God, I will rape your entire family and burn your f***ing village to the ground. Okie doke. Now who's your Danza? It's the fourth annual Drabblecast People's Choice Awards. This is one of the coolest times of the year for Drabblecast. The time when you listeners get to nominate your favorite stories of the past year, and then we narrow it down to the top five, and we all vote and crown a winner. The winner, of course, gets the sacred Drabblecast Chalice of Glory, which, if you're listening on our enhanced file format right now, should be staring at you from your player. Past winners have been Aaliyah Whiteley with episode 43, Jelly Park, Robert Reed with episode 83, Floating Over Time, and last year David D. Levine took it with his story Babble Probe in episode 109. You can hear and download all these, by the way, in our episode archives, linked off our main page at drabblecast.org. Also at the site, you'll find a link to our discussion forums where all this is taking place. So here's how it works. We've got three categories this year. The big one, Best Story. Then a smaller category, but still cool in its own right, Best Drabble. And a new one this year, Best Episode Art. Eligible feature stories, Drabbles, and Art lie between episodes 148 and 195. Also, Drabblecast B-Side Stories, episode 10 through 13. Oh, and in case it doesn't go without saying, which is to say, it is said now and does go with it saying, only stories by living writers are eligible. So no Saki, no Lovecraft, no Tony Danza. But he's always been here, just like he who walks behind the rose. No, 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 no. The great one is still alive in mortal form. I, I just meant he's not a writer, you know? I said living writers. <laughs> not darkly veiled overlords. Alexander! No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. No, you the Danza. You the Danza. Samantha, tell him. Yeah, the list of eligible stories is pretty long, I know. But we've got them all listed out in the forum section, even quick little descriptions for the Drabbles to thump your memory a little bit. We also have a link to a page with all the episode artwork, so you can take a gander at those and decide. Round one is up for the next two weeks and works this way. You just hit up our forums and post your top five favorites in each of the three categories that you'll find under the forum megatopic titled 2010 Drabblecast People's Choice, also linked in our show notes. That's all there is to it right now. Head over to the forums as soon as you grab a chance, ponder as needed, and then nominate your favorites. We'll touch base again with you in episode 198 when we have our finalists and the next round of voting starts. The plan right now is to announce the winners in our 200th episode special, so something to look forward to. And just as the blue man was offered up unto him, so shall be the unbelievers. Dr. Longbridge, by the way, 
nominating it's Drabble time Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words a fun writing endeavor that can be more challenging than it sounds give it a shot and send yours into drabblecast at yahoo.com it might just tickle our metaphorical pickles Ooh, saucy i said metaphorical come on metaphors ever heard of one they're like similes anyways this week's Drabble is called lavender and it comes to us from jason quintata Jason lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico with his wife, son, and overweight cat. He writes flash fiction and short stories, mostly just to try and impress his wife, but recently won a flash fiction contest in the Albuquerque Alibi newspaper, and has since been devoting more lunch breaks to the craft. She was the neighbor I secretly adored. I smelled her lovely perfume. Lavender. Suddenly, she was in a beautiful blue dress. I looked down at my handsome black tuxedo. You're breathtaking, I said. She turned and touched my arm. Am I? She said. I'm flattered. Shall we? And we danced. On and on, it was like a movie, it never ended. We twirled and spun around a shimmering ballroom. The audience was in awe, they applauded us, they wanted more. Ding. You can open your eyes now, she said, smiling. This is our floor. concept of dancing with someone has always struck me as kind of weird. Animals don't really dance with each other, not unless you count some aggressive courting and mating behaviors, which I guess explains why so many straight chicks prefer going to gay bars to dance. Beats the hell out of having to evolve a profoundly convoluted trapdoor vagina. Right, ladies? Now there's your metaphor. So yeah, while I'm sure we can all agree that there's a lot more complexity involved when two human beings dance, there still seems to be a faintly underlying gravity about it, a magnetism, when the right music aligns itself with the right moment between the right people. Bodies in orbit, in synchronous locomotion, until the music stops, or the elevator dings, or the asteroid's impact on your cratered gray surface alters the rhythm you had with your conjugal world, and you find yourself alone once again, floating in the cold silence of space. One more crater on your back, and feet itching to dance. And that leads us into this week's feature story, Moons Like Great White Whales by C.C. Finlay. Mr. Finlay lives in Columbus with his wife, young adult novelist Ray Carson, and two sons, smart readers who keep him honest. His first published story was Footnotes in Fantasy and Science Fiction, August 2001, a series of fictional footnotes from a history article about a future nanotechnology disaster. Since then, his short fictions appeared frequently in magazines and anthologies. His stories have been reprinted in volumes of the year's best fantasy, year's best science fiction, and best new horror, and have been nominated for the Hugo, Nebula, Sidewise, and Sturgeon Awards. Moons Like Great White Whales first appeared in Strange Horizons, February 2005. 
The story is read to you by Ray Sizemore, a voice you may remember from a while back on the Travelcast, in addition to podcasts such as Starship Sofa and Escape Pod. Ray has since moved into pro voice work and narration, and to date he's voiced several commercials, a documentary, a few audiobooks, and most of the male characters in the upcoming PC game Adam's Venture 2, scheduled for release in March. Ray delivers killer reads and is great to work with. This is Norm speaking now, not Ray Bio. I highly recommend this guy for any projects you need voice work for. Check him out at raysizemore.com. Alrighty then, without further ado, we bring you Moons Like Great White Whales by C.C. Finlay. First one pale oval moon, then another, and a third reached the darkening sky. Down below, the ocean covered the entire planet. Ripples of blue stretched off to a horizon that merged with the color of the twilight sky, so that the moons seemed to leap from the water. The pilot and her companion skimmed through the atmosphere on organic wings. They had completed their survey and the planet's sampling, so this flight out from the landing craft and back was purely for their own joy. They timed it exactly, so they could see all three moons rise together. What do you think of that, he said, as if he wasn't going to venture his opinion before hers. Just perfect. She took a sip from her drinking tube, then lifted her face into the wind as they drifted through the air. After a while, he said, so what can we do to top that? She felt like their voices were polluting the pristine world, and she wanted him to be quiet. Let's just enjoy this moment, okay? Okay. He shrugged his shoulders, enough to make a huge whomping flap with his wings. They glided effortlessly through clear skies toward the distant beacon of their ship. The two smaller moons zipped visibly across the young planet's sky. All three were in low orbits. Even now, it was easy to see the inevitable. Eventually, the moons would crash into the planet and destroy the atmosphere, like what had probably happened on Mars. Or the big one would collide and fragment the planet into a binary system with one living and one dead, or maybe both dying, as they revolved around each other. When the first wave of colonists came, they'd have to boost the lunar orbits until all three moons were much smaller fragments of distant light. That, or mine them for the transfer stations, until only scattered dust was left. The moons look like white whales, he said. What? She had just been thinking how they might be the only people to ever appreciate the planet as it was this moment, without trying to change it into something else. You remember, he said. What was the name of that island again, back on Earth? The one we stayed at that time. Iowa? Hawaii? Yeah, that one. Remember that one morning there? How we floated on our backs in the water, and we heard the whales singing deep and far away, and then later that afternoon, that night, she corrected, we saw them from the boat, surfacing, spouting water. Of course I remember. That had been their first vacation together, right after they had been paired by the psychologists in training camp for the Space Corps, before they went into orbit for body mod and their first mission together. That's when I fell in love with you. Yeah he said, a little softer. 
He lifted his head toward her and smiled, and she smiled back. After a moment, she sighed and turned her face away from him and toward the moons. After a moment, he said, Someday whales like that will swim in these waters. Stop it, she said. He banked his wings, spiraling around in front of her so he could see her face. What's wrong? Instead of answering, she tilted her own wings, catching the air and rising in a slow spiral away from him. He followed, and the two of them ascended in a double helix. With no landmarks below them, there was no difference in the surface of the planet, but the moon seemed to grow closer and the air thinner until the helix fell apart and she leveled out her flight. The wind abraded her face, rubbing the bare skin around her mask and visor raw. She picked up speed until her arms and shoulders ached from the pressure of the wind. He fell in beside her and the kilometers raced by. She felt good again, happy to be with him. After a time, he asked, why did you tell me to stop? It's for your own good, she said, and she could feel the mask pinch her skin as she frowned. If only he hadn't spoken, the pleasure of this flight could have stretched out as far as the ocean below. He didn't say anything. How many planets have we charted now? She asked. Seven, he said slowly, as if he were afraid he was being tested. Almost one per decade. And you love the desolation, the isolation, more than anything else, she said. You love the way we're alone together, with whole worlds to ourselves. Whenever you start thinking about colonists following after us, changing the landscapes we've shared, terraforcing it, chopping it up into useful bits, you always get depressed. I like change too. No, you don't. What about our last stopover? What was that called? Jerusalem? That planet was barren when they started but they've turned it into something almost lush and beautiful. She shook her head. God, that planet was a rock, and the people there are such reactionaries. How can you want change like that, to a planet like this? Those moons will come down. It's going to change eventually, even without colonists. Change happens. It's perfect tonight. Why can't you just enjoy it like it is? Why couldn't he just shut up? He took a deep breath. I've been thinking, we should have a baby. She laughed at him, and then he laughed too, and she wondered if he heard the different qualities in the sound of their laughter. We're much too old for that, she said. Medically, we could still do it. I've been reading. As he spoke, she folded her wings back and began a long, low-angle dive back toward the beacon on the ocean surface. He followed. It's been so long. I can't remember what I was like without you anymore. I want there to be someone that shares in both of us. She checked the distance to the beacon on her visor. It was still far away. If we had a child, you know that she'd grow up, and then we'd lose her, or she'd lose us. It doesn't have to happen that way. It always happens that way. The universe doesn't need another orphan. The two smaller, faster moons slipped behind them, diving away from them toward the far horizon. The biggest moon pressed above them now, like the top of a skull, a living blind wall that concealed unknown possibilities on the other side. I want to have a baby, he said. I want to carry it. Things go wrong. She didn't want to lose him to some pointless medical fiasco. Stop being so goddamn selfish. 
Don't you know how much I count on you? We'd be glad after we did it. It'd be our legacy, some part of us that lives on. She could feel her jaw tighten, her molars clench, and her body, conditioned to take that reflex as a threat, bristled its seldom-used defense armament, pumped adrenaline into her system to deal with it. Before he could notice, she sub-vocalized a desist command and said, a little too sharply, I don't like this. You're scaring me. It scares me a bit too when I think about it. So stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. That must mean it's really important. It's something I have to do, right? The tension in his voice was too much for her. The tension in her body was too much too. Well, if you really want to do it, it's an easy procedure. All they do is let a little air in. What? They just put a needle in and blow you up like a balloon. Until you pop. When he didn't say anything, she said, Get it? Pop? He caught a different gust of wind and let himself drift farther away from her. It was just a joke, she said. Let's not talk about it anymore. The wind riffled the edges of his wings, making an irritating buzz that filled the silence. If you really want to talk about it, she began. Please, please, please don't talk anymore. His voice snapped, pulling away, like a hand that had reached out to take hold of something and caught a flame. They were almost on top of the beacon, only a few dozen kilometers away, and she could see it spearing through the night, a cord of light and sound that wrapped round and round the planet as it turned. She started to say something to him, but he was gone. As she scanned the sky for him, it felt like her heart was slammed suddenly between two pieces of loose machinery. She'd imagined losing him to a thousand stupid accidents, but never like this, not over something like this. She found him below. He had folded one of his wings and began an early descent without saying anything to her, a slow whirlpool spin into the dark. Dropping her wings to her side, she went into a dive, closing more than half the distance between them, leveling out to match his own separate course. The beacon lay ahead of them now, a slow red pulse attached to the wall of the night. It's okay, she said. It's not okay. Then he looked up and saw how close she was. He sighed, releasing some knot he'd held inside too long, and banked his wing toward her again until they were flying tip to tip, as if they were one continuous wing, in unspoken agreement again. Alone in the whole world, they bobbed on the wind, the glittering ocean spread out over the horizons all around them, and the last big moon swimming away like a great white whale. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Those moons will come down. Change happens. Even now, it's easy to see the inevitable, the collisions and fragmentations, the times of sickness along with the times of health, till gravity do us part. The quiet of an elevator or the quiet of a still planet covered in moonlit ocean, equally suitable settings for daydreaming, for imagining how we might affect change for ourselves, when finally the music and the moment are right. 
If you enjoyed this week's show and you've got a minute and a penny to spare, consider making a donation to the Drabblecast. Put some fuel in our tank, some dry wood in our fire, some sugar in our coffee. Hey, watch it. We rely on your support to pay authors, handle production costs, and keep the baby far the hell away from our worm. You'll see support options off of our main page, Drabblecast.org. We really appreciate your help. And speaking of which, it's time for the kick-ass donor of the week. This week's is... David Oswin. David's one of our fine Aussie listeners out there. He's 52 and married to his better half, Elizabeth, who is a top executive with one of those big old accounting firms. There she practices the ancient magical art of making more honey gather flies. They say, whoever they are, that opposites attract. That's exactly how David, weirdo that he is, describes his relationship with Elizabeth. However, he wanted to let us in on a little secret. Patience and the use of the magic words, yes, dear, are the secrets to a successful marriage. They have two beautiful daughters, 18 and 16, a gay dog named Monty, and a straight dog named Bailey. Now there's a zany sitcom waiting to happen. Big thanks for the support, David. We really appreciate it, buddy. Alrighty, next order of business, our weekly Twabble contest winner. Twabbles, of course, are 100 character stories, not including spaces, and we've got an ongoing contest in our discussion forums, open to anyone, where we pick a winner from each week. This week's Twabble story winner is Sergeant Crispy, with this one right here. The moment after I had pulled the cord on my backpack, I realized I should have never gone with Bee Bunny brand parachutes. Yep, not unless you've got body mod organic wings. Got Twitter? Follow us and get the winners early each week. We're at the Drabblecast. Alrighty, folks, that's our show. Special thanks this week's awesome episode artist, Sean, as a party. Sean is currently living in the top of a hill in North London, but he's about to travel to Angoulême in France for a massive week of comic love. Have fun, you lucky bastard. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, some whales living in Iowa, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that Danza is Lord. Saunters to closing. The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round.